Welcome to Bedcrime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my loyal bedcrimers, a warm hello. How you doing? Anyone new to the channel, a special welcome. Before I begin, let me just ask that if you enjoy this video, please hit that like button and consider subscribing. Now, let's dig in. As the Moscow Police Department preps the home, at 1122 King Road, to get ready to hand over some of the victims' personal belongings to the families. The city of Moscow remains in a state of fear. No one's been arrested for the brutal crime on Sunday, November 13th, and it sometimes feels like the investigation has gone cold. Despite that, disturbing details about that weekend continue to trickle out. And although the police have said certain individuals have been cleared as suspects in the college students' deaths, they are now walking that statement back and saying they may re-interview some of these people. Hallelujah! Moscow Police Chief James Fry told Fox News on Tuesday that cleared individuals could still be called back in to speak with the police if the evidence leads law enforcement back to them. Fry told Fox in a quote, We always have the option of re-interviewing. We've actually re-interviewed people two or three times because we'll get tips or we'll get information that we need to verify again. And sometimes we need to ask the questions just a little bit different to ensure that we're getting the proper information to continue on with this investigation. Chief Fry's comments come as some of the families of the victims are growing increasingly frustrated with the lack of information and the reality that the perpetrator is still out walking among us. Reporter Nancy Grace even weighed in on the situation. She believes the students' families are being mishandled by the police. Grace can speak from experience on this because she too had a loved one's life ripped from her due to foul play. Her fiancé was killed back in 1979 by one of his former co-workers, a guy named Tommy McCoy, who had no previous criminal record. So Nancy Grace knows what it's like to be a family member on the outside of a police investigation and not knowing what's going on. It's beginning to sound like Kaylee's father, Stephen, through his words and actions, hiring a private investigator as well as an attorney, is shaking things up and getting things done. Sometimes you need to poke the bear. Moving on to the grub truck video, additional grub truck video footage of Kaylee and her best friend Maddie Mogan on Sunday, February 13th, ordering pasta before getting a ride home. Kaylee had a bit of a verbal tussle with the guy wearing the hoodie. Thanks to enhanced audio from Inside Edition, we can now clearly hear Maddie saying, F you, mister, as she points to the man behind her wearing the hoodie. The video also shows Maddie and Kaylee making a quick getaway to a car that arrived to whisk them home. It's obvious that Maddie and Kaylee were not happy to have this hoodie guy trailing them. Hoodie guy 
may have told people he was there making sure the girls got home safely, but the vibe from the girls tells a whole different story. The body language screams that this dude was aggressively tailing Kaylee and Maddie, forcing his presence on them. The energy he's giving off, from my perspective anyway, is not kind and not caring. It really does feel more like the S-word that rhymes with Walker. I feel afraid for Kaylee and Maddie watching this video. That may be because I know what's going to happen to them about one hour later, but seeing Maddie point at Hoodie Guy and tell him to F off tells me something doesn't look right and something wasn't right. I'm also wondering now how that Joe Vito guy who was standing right next to Hoodie Guy could tell people that this dude was giving off positive energy and seemed to genuinely care about the girls. Maybe from Vito's perspective, it appeared that Hoodie Guy was acting like a parent with a petulant child, tolerating the FUs and the cold shoulder from Maddie and Kaylee because they were inebriated and being silly, and he was the savior there, sacrificed time to make sure they got home safely. I'm just trying to understand because it's shocking to me that Vito and the grub truck employee never mentioned this altercation when speaking with the media, at least that I'm aware of. And by the way, I'll put this video footage at the end of this video so you can study the body language. Confrontation between two of the University of Idaho murder victims and another student at a food truck. The time, 1.30 a.m., just hours before the murders. Kaylee Gonsalves and Madison Mogan stopped for mac and cheese after partying at a nearby bar. Everybody seemed like in good spirits, nothing seemed off. And then they start interacting with a couple other people. They're waiting for their food. Now look at this. Video shows Madison pointing at a man in a hoodie who appeared to have followed them to the truck. We had the video and audio from the clip enhanced, and you can hear her using an expletive. Blank you, mister, she says. Police have already announced they have cleared the young man in the hoodie. Audio engineer Anthony Nelson enhanced the audio for Inside Edition. What do you hear in that instant? Um, she says, you. So, was there an argument? If so, what was it about? Early on, Ethan Chapin's father said that the police were not sharing much information about the case. And this week, Kaylee Gonsalves's father, Stephen, announced that he hired both a private detective and an attorney. Steve Gonsalves is fighting tooth and nail to get answers. I think part of what is driving him is his wife's absolute terror of the perpetrator still lurking among them and her fear that this person could show up at Kaylee's funeral. Christy Gonsalves is so traumatized that she cannot bear to hold her daughter's service until the offender is caught. Steve Gonsalves wants to know who among the people the police interviewed has a solid alibi and what exactly that alibi and those alibis are. I believe he's simply doing what any man 
who wants to protect his family and give his wife and children a sense of security would do. He's also desperate for answers and justice. I think we're all watching in real time. Someone tries to process this horrific event. He said he sent his daughter off to college and she came back in a box. Some people think Steve Gonzalez is saying too much publicly. I think he's just trying to help his kid. Moving on to the party that victims, Ethan Chapin and Zana Kernadal, were seen arriving at between 8 and 9 p.m. at the Sigma Chi Fraternity House on Saturday night on the University of Idaho campus. There's a report that the police were called to the party, but the reason for this is unclear at this point. Did it have anything to do with Zana and Ethan? We don't know. The authorities are still asking for tips and video footage that might help explain where Zana and Ethan were between their arrival time at the party, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., and the time they arrived at Zana's shared rental home at 1122 King Road, 1.45 a.m. That's a huge gap of four hours. Zana's mother said that Zana's father, Jeffrey Kernadal, told her that their daughter and Ethan were at a bar later that night. Per Jeffrey, Zana mentioned a week earlier that she had gotten into a fight with some guy. Jeffrey allegedly believes that the perpetrator may be the guy she got into this fight with. This person is, we don't know. I'm wondering, A, if that fight has anything to do with Hoodie Guy. It's been said that Hoodie Guy got kicked out of his fraternity for anger management issues. Could this fight with Xana be connected somehow to Hoodie Guy? Is that who she had the fight with? This is pure speculation on my part. But I'm wondering, is this also what prompted Xana to ask her father to fix the lock to her bedroom the week before? Was she afraid for some reason and wanting to be sure that lock worked? We don't know. But if, and this is a big if, if Hoodie Guy is determined to be the dude with whom Xana fought the week before the crime, I would say that that could spell some sort of sick motive, revenge, especially if that same guy was having issues with Kaylee and Maddie over near the grub truck. Someone on Twitter who goes by the handle Ashley from fourth grade shared an article from Psychology Today called On Wound Collectors by Joe Navarro. Navarro is a 25-year veteran of the FBI, where he served on the National Security Division's Behavioral Analysis Program. He's also considered a world expert on body language. The tagline under the article reads, Lessons learned from extremists, mass murderers, and those who can't let go. The article defines a wound collector as an individual who goes out of their way to collect social slights, historical grievances, injustices, unfair or desperate treatment, or wrongs, whether real or imagined. That definition comes from a book called Dangerous Personalities. 
The article goes on to explain that wound collectors don't forgive or forget, and they don't move on. It says, and I quote, they wallow in the actual or often perceived transgressions of others, and they allow sentiments of animosity and vengeance to percolate and froth at the surface by their constant and attentive nurturing of those perceived wounds, end quote. Yikes. For these people, there is never a fix or a cure to appease them. Nothing is ever good enough, and apologies mean nothing. And the world, for them, holds nothing but nastiness. This affects how they see the world and how they react to it. And that is suspiciously and with contempt. The article goes on to say, and I quote, When irrationality, antagonism, and rigidity combine with unyielding overconfidence in their own sentiments, and beliefs go unchecked or not attenuated, these individuals become metastable, ready to ignite and explode, end quote. Just FYI, metastable means theoretically unstable, but so long-lived as to be stable for practical purposes. So, to me, this means these individuals, if they do not get help for their very negative mindset, can explode at any moment. Is that the type of person we're dealing with in this crime's perpetrator? It certainly sounds like a possibility. We know from the wounds inflicted that this crime resulted from unleashed rage. The perpetrator was up in the victim's faces, likely looking into their eyes as he hurt them. It's hard for most of us to understand that level of anger. It's almost like a volcano suddenly spewing ash and lava in a prolonged eruption. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Now do me a favor, smash that like button, leave me a comment, subscribe, share the video, and if you want to support the channel, join and get a membership. ...of the confrontation between two of the University of Idaho murder victims and another student at a food truck. The time, 1.30 a.m., just hours before the murders. Kaylee Gonsalves and Madison Mogan stopped for mac and cheese after partying at a nearby bar. Everybody seemed like in good spirits, nothing seemed off. And then they start interacting with a couple other people. They're waiting for their food. Now look at this. Video shows Madison pointing at a man in a hoodie who appeared to have followed them to the truck. We had the video and audio from the clip enhanced and you can hear her using an expletive. Blank you, mister, she says. Police have already announced they have cleared the young man in the hoodie. Audio engineer Anthony Nelson enhanced the audio for Inside Edition. What do you hear in that instant? Um, she says, you. So was there an argument? If so, what was it about? Kaylee's parents say in their opinion, some of the individuals have been cleared too prematurely. Nancy Grace, host of Crime Stories, says the victim's families are being mishandled. Number one thing you do in a murder case is you locate the victim's family and loved ones and you hold their hands from 